Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick smothered, check, Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shake needs to be in perfect the premiers of 1992. The 1994 premiers. Premiers. The 2018 West Coast and St Kilda. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35, and joining me this week is Miguel Sanchez. Miguel, how are you going? Yeah, good. Um, yeah, very good. On top of the world. Yeah, got the tip right last week, and uh, oh, so yeah. I'm here this week. Here this week to rub my tip in your face. Well done, well done. We're off to a flyer there. I'm not touching that one. We'll move along. We're also joined on the show by Keys. Welcome back, Keys. How are things? Yeah, good. Always better after a win. Um, I'm taking credit for it because I changed my tip before the game to Port because it looked like I was going to be wet. So never change a tip before a game. And I changed it to port. So it worked. Thank you very much, Keys. West Coast Eagles, 16 goals, 12, 108. Defeated Port Adelaide, 11 goals, 5, 71. Port Adelaide are a club that have been on top of the AFL ladder for, I think, 20 consecutive weeks now. Uh, certainly since round one of last season. So uh, a good team to beat. Always a great team to get a scalp against. And we had a couple of fans that were very happy with it, sent in their three-word reviews. Thank you very much for sending those ones through on Facebook or on Twitter. Uh, James Hutton will lead us off. He wrote, window is open. Very promising signs there. Glenn Fig says, hamstrings stopping boots. And of course, we will unfortunately circle back to the Luke Shuey injury situation. James Russell, premiership contenders again. Paul Webstein says, great team effort. And Greg Little Pretty simple, this one. Better, better, better. Miguel, it was better in a lot of ways. Port are the number one contested football team in the league. We thumped them in the contested ball. The mids fired. The forwards were efficient. The backs didn't have all that much to do throughout the game, to be honest. All in all, just a really pleasant evening at the footy. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was a real surprise, albeit that I tipped us, as I'm going to keep bringing up. Um, yeah, everything we, we we said that we needed to do in order to get over the top of Port, I, I think we did. Um, yeah, we got on top in the middle. We winning the ball out of the clearances. Um, our mids got on top of Port's mids early. Our tall forward line with, uh, with Brander in it and Ryan as well provided um, good forward targets. If Port won the ball back in the forward line, then um, the pressure on them trying to clear the ball out of the back line was immense, particularly, I think, uh, was it the second quarter where they were just bombing the ball out of the out of their back 50 and we were marking it, it was going straight back in. Down the other end, I thought they didn't have a huge amount to do, but up the ground did a good job of limiting supply and uh, Tommy Barris absolutely murdered Charlie Dixon. That was quite pleasing. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a really pleasing win. There was a lot to like. Obviously, there's a, a couple of things not to like that I'm sure we'll get to, but it's a great result. Absolutely a phenomenal result. Keys. Miguel just touched on it then. 
a lot of the work was done in the first half. We were up by 52 at halftime. We're up by 27 at quarter time as well. Got off to a flyer. Everything was looking up pretty much straight from the opening bounce. It was one of the most imposing starts that I've seen from the Eagles in many years. Yeah, I, th- I think not just from the Eagles, I think from any club. I mean, that first half was probably as close to football perfection as you're going to get, especially against a, a side that rightfully is considered a premiership contender. It's just a, you know, a, a real smack in the mouth. I mean, I think on one of the Eagles' reviews today, or might have been coast-to-coast, coast, something like we had three goals by the time they had three possessions. We just got out of the blocks and just whack, and, and it was really the game was over as a contest sort of halfway through the first quarter. We were just on, and I think, you know, you look at it, and certainly in the first half, I doubt you could say we had any passengers. Even the guys who on stat sheet were fairly quiet were still putting pressure on around the ball and, and influencing the game. So, yeah, I don't think you... I think all 22 players could walk into the change rooms at half-time and said, say they legitimately did their bit. Very rarely you, um, you get that. A lot of contributors across the board. Some guys, keys like you mentioned there, that maybe didn't stick out on the stat sheet. You know, Jermaine Jones was quiet, but... In watching a replay, I noticed him bob up in defence far more than I'd noticed watching it live at the time. And, you know, a few whipping boys, guys like Nelson, I thought, stood up. And and Brander will definitely get back to. Miguel, why don't we lead things off from a player point of view with someone who stood out on the stat sheet in a very, very big way. Andrew Gaff is back. 36 disposals for Gaffey. 13 marks. He's linking up all over the place. Four inside 50s. He's backing under the flight of balls. He's taking these contested marks with big forwards charging at him, dropping into the hole, even against a club that, you know, he he did that once before against Port Adelaide. It didn't work out so well. I kind of led led with it there. But, yeah, Miguel, Andrew Gaff, he's back. Yeah, and difficult to work out what happened to him over the first two weeks. And we spent some time talking about it. And, yeah, sort of tried to watch him at the ground. And he just, yeah, seemed to play just a a normal gaff game, the sort of game we're all used to, where he's covering a whole heap of ground and he's providing link up. And uh, he started laying some tackles as well, which is pleasing. Yeah, definitely back. He didn't didn't seem to run any harder than he, he has in the previous games. He just sort of, he was used more. Maybe he was running to better positions, but um, yeah, great game from him. And Keyes, a guy that we're not used to seeing stuff the stat sheet, but he definitely did his best game of his career. Jared Brander, perhaps an unexpected in, but he came in, he played a half forward role, a little bit of time on the ball as well. 21 disposals, six marks and four inside 50s. He also got the first career goal. What did you make of the new and improved Jared Brander? No, he was really good. He actually looked like he believed he belonged at the level. Got his hand on the ball. Yeah, no, really good. Probably got his opportunity because of an injury to Archie, making him a laid out. And it meant that he he played as a half forward rather than the inside mid role that he's playing in the waffle that sort of earned him the spot in a way. But no, he was really good. And I was super pleased to see him get that first goal. And I think you could actually see it was something that was, I reckon, must have been eating away. He did look very, very chuffed with himself when he got it. And the reaction of his teammates coming over and, and, and the pile on was something that I reckon the guys knew that it was was perhaps a little bit of a bugbear for him. So it was really good to get that one out of his way. Probably could have had two or three. He had a set shot before that, which he, I mean, it was a fair way out, but he hooked that pretty badly. And he, I think in the... Second quarter, he had a, a bit of a snap on the run from about 40 or 45 that didn't miss by a hell of a lot. So really good game, and, and hopefully now they can um, 
give him a bit of a, a, a run of games and, and leave him in for a while so his, his confidence can just continue to grow because I think we've seen the blossoming of a player that we've all been waiting for and hoping for. Some may have lost a little bit of faith that there was ever going to come and and it's probably through an avenue as a midfield that we didn't really think it was going to be when we drafted him as a um, as a key position prospect, you know, three years ago or whatever it was now. But yeah, fantastic to see him have a good game. A couple other guys that I really liked. I mean, Hearn just looks like Shannon Hearn again. Incredible. Tom Barras held Dixon goalless and really pushed him right up the field. Any touches he got was on the wrong side of the wing. So love to see that. Barras now first in the league for marks as well. Uh, Nelson, I mentioned before. You know, Allen's great. Darling bobbed up with some goals. Kennedy, a very underappreciated four-goal game. He's still going, still fantastic. Gents, I'll open the floor up to both of you now, though, because let's just let's just clear our schedules and, and maybe clear the rest of this pod. Let's talk about Liam Ryan. He's just really good. He's great. He's fun to watch. He took Mark of the Year again. Then he followed it up with another decent effort. It, it's just a sham. It is a sham putting this guy in a Mark of the Year competition with other players. It's not fair. He owns them all. He's kicking goals. He's sitting on people's heads. He's given the best post-match interviews you've ever heard. Guys, how much do we love Liam Ryan? He's just a jet. He's just in, a, in, a, in an era where football's so much strategy and structures and what have you. He, he's just pure football ability. And I think Simo's said it a few times, and I think he's, he's spot on. For a guy that came to the club, who everyone knew he was talented, he was standing on Will Schofield's head for fun. and <laughs> Everyone knew he could take a big mark and, and kick some goals and things like that. But the reason that was, you know, he was probably held back was his work rate and his fitness and everything like that. The club admits he's not the greatest worker on the track, but when it comes to game day, he just goes and he covers a lot of ground. He gets up the ground. His field kicking is phenomenal. He's just a joy to watch and he just seems really unaffected by it and the other thing too is I mean early on in his career he had you know he did have some off-field troubles he had the drink driving where he ran into a tree and you know he had some issues with his with his wife that you know got got resolved and I think the club really got around him and have helped him through that and now they're getting the rewards for it and I was actually thinking during the week it's a it's a real shame that what we're able to do to get around Ryan and help him through that early part of his career, it's a shame that we weren't able to do the same with Ash Sampy a decade and a half ago because Sampy was, you know, similar talent but just couldn't get past those those issues. And I always said Sampy was probably the most pound for pound, the most talented player we've ever had. Just couldn't get it right. But I think Ryan's probably Ryan's got as much ability as what Sampy did. He's just just brilliant to watch. Yeah, the stuff he does up the field as well, um, not just the marks on people's heads, but just the footy now. And there was one, um, was it in the last quarter, where he gathered the ball and sort of stepped inside two defenders and sort of went in just in the opposite direction, I think, to what they'd expect and just was almost like one of those um, like Roadrunner cartoons where they're sort of grabbing <laughs> it air and, and um, then kick the ball into, I think, Kennedy. But just that, not just the marks, but the stuff he does um, around the ground that just makes your jaw drop open. I'm just picturing Darcy Byrne-Jones holding up one of those old-school wooden signs that just says help yeah, just, on it. Yeah, or <laughs> or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, and, yeah, the way he's worked to, to get to where he is, um, yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. And, he, you know, all Australian last year, and uh, you wouldn't be betting against him um, doing the same thing this year because he's, he's started up the season so well. I was having a chat at the game to someone, and, and we were saying, 
you know, that era of, oh, you have to see this live, you can't miss it, is almost gone now because of how available highlights are. And, you know, for example, Eddie Betts kicked a great goal for Carlton this week uh, in his 200th game for Carlton. It was a really nice moment. If you missed it, you can just see it. And it's impressive the first time, whether you're watching it live or not. But Liam Ryan is almost... He, you just need to watch it live. You need to either be there or be watching it on telly live and just experience it when everybody else is so you get that same buzz and you get that feeling of, oh, we've just seen something special because the Max Gorn mark a few years ago and then now this one uh, on the weekend, I think they're going to be really iconic marks in Eagles history forever. Forget Liam Ryan's history. I reckon they're big marks in Eagles history now. Just They're as, they're as good as they get. So, yeah, fantastic to be able to see it live and, and you, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not just watching Liam Ryan whenever you're freely available to do so. Um, Keys, before we finish up on the Port game, there was a little bit of a chat this week in the fallout of the Port Adelaide win. We are up by 52 at halftime. We've kicked on. We've won by 37. Now, we didn't bury them. It was a huge effort. It was a great win. No one's disputing that. But could have been a percentage booster. Could have been a real big swing against a top-four rival. What do you make of the inability to put that game beyond all doubt by making it a 10-goal game, you know, a 12-15 goal game, really, really going for the kill. Yeah, I think it's, it's always, there's always a tinge of sadness, I suppose, when you get that. You get such a big lead at halftime and you don't always go on with it. And there's a whole bunch of reasons. I think you'll find, I don't know, I, there's no, I haven't any stats on it, but I reckon the, the real big blowouts, like what the Bulldogs had against North, they happen when a side gets... They might have a decent leave at three-quarter time and then they really get on the roll in the last quarter. I don't think the Bulldogs led by all that much at half time. They really got on the roll in the second half and I think most blowouts are when sides get get going in the second half rather than the first half. And like I said, I mean, that first half was pretty much football perfection. It's really hard to maintain that for four full quarters. So I watched the replay again the other night, and I think halfway through the last quarter, we were still about nine goals up. It was really just the last probably ten minutes where they got they got three goals in junk time a little bit, and one after the siren from a pretty soft free kick, um, which incidentally cost us being fourth. You take that last goal away, and we're fourth and Porter fifth on percentage. But anyway, just by the by. So at the end of it, I think at this early stage of year, I know percentage is important, yeah, yeah, but you just got to bank the wins and you move on. And I think if you had said to every single one of those 42,000 Eagles fans that walked into the ground that weren't named Koshy um, before the game, <laughs> if, they, if you said to them, we'll walk out with a 37-point win, at the end of the day, you would have taken it and run. So, yeah, a little bit disappointing, but I don't think if you're going to start losing your shit over that, well, find something else to do. Yeah, if we had gone, you know, beat them by two goals, then two goals, then two goals, then two goals, sort of chipped away at it like that, that's a very different proposition to get up big and then have them rein it in somewhat. Uh, you mentioned the dogs there. Yeah, the dogs at half time they were up by 38 points and went on to win by 128. So, yeah, it was really the second half. Miguel, the Eagles' inability to absolutely bury them, something or nothing? A uh, bit of a difference between opposition. Like North Melbourne are going to lose a lot of games by triple figures this year. And we were playing Port, who I think you said off the top had been top of the ladder for uh, 20-something weeks. So big difference in that. And yeah, as, as Keith said, we probably spent a lot of our petrol tickets uh, in the first half in building up that lead. And there, yeah, we're, we're still 50 points up or so. With 10 minutes to go when Shuey went off. So yeah, just gave up a few. I think we gave up three of the last four goals and that's what pulled it back in. 
But yeah, it's it's being greedy. I think to say uh, we should have had an eight goal win or, or a ten goal win or, or whatever. You know, take the win over Port, take a six goal win, and uh, yeah, be very happy to bank that one. Moving on in the show, it's time for a little bit of news, and it's news we don't really get this early in the season, but we have a bit of a contract update, and this one comes from Cal Toomey, who suggests that Dom Sheed is about to sign a contract extension, four-year deal, it'll take him till the end of 2025, that's when he will be 30 years old by the end of that season. Uh, his deal is currently set to expire at the end of this year, but basically turning his back on free agency, he's going to stay with the Eagles, assuming this is all correct. Uh, Keys Dom Sheed. Obviously, we know what he's done historically. This year, he's second in the AFL in clearances with 27. He's one off the pace there with Tom Liberatore with 28. So he's still getting his hands on the footy. And as I said, I mean, Dom Sheed almost earned himself a lifetime contract a couple of years ago. Keeping him around for four years, that's a good call? Yeah, it's a good call. I think he'd be, what, 26, 27? So four he's years. 25 is, now. Yeah, so, yeah, four years is a good period. I mean, he's... Yeah, he's becoming a pretty important midfielder for us now. He's certainly over the first three rounds. Him and Kelly have been our most consistent mids. I mean, he hasn't had a bad game this year yet. Gets his hands on the pill. He has a bit of a tendency to just uh, throw it on the boot a little bit blindly sometimes. But and he's unlike some of our other mids. He, he can sneak forward and kick a goal on occasion as well. So yeah, no, he's become he's become a pretty good midfield soldier for us. So. Getting him squared away, I don't think it was something that I reckon the club would have been all that worried about in terms of him going anywhere else. But it's still nice to just have that one squared away because it then makes gives them more room to keep attention on maybe some of these others that um, clubs are coming for, apparently, like Oscar Allen, according to media reports that have been made up by his player agent. <laughs> Tell us what you really think. Yeah, Miguel, Sheed, sound off on that one, but then we will touch on that Allen story. A little bit of a rumour, 750k to 800k offers expected to be coming his way. He's a local boy. He supported the club. He's in line for the throne. Anything in that at all? Uh, Sheed, yeah, quite happy with that. The issue I would have with that if, is if they were offering him a longer-term deal because you, know, you worry about our guys when they start to get into their 30s, but... Um, yeah, four years is probably about right. That would take him, I think, to the end of a 12-year career and you'd back him to still be playing then. So, yeah, any longer than that, and I might have been worried. But, yeah, great to see him hanging around. Alan, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think there's much to worry about. You can see why uh, other teams would be coming after him uh, and, and thinking you know, possibly he's gettable if they put huge you know, dollar amounts in front of him because uh, he's still got the, the frustrating position where he's uh, he's the third forward really behind Kennedy and Darling, you know, both of whom are not showing any signs of slowing down really. Um, but yeah, he, he seems to love the club. I'm sure he knows that his day as the uh, as the number one guy will come and um, it would have to be a very, very um, big sort of godfather offer to, to prize him out, I would have thought. Yeah. 
Heroes and Villains time for the week. Thank you very much to the people who've sent in their own Heroes and Villains as well. So uh, that's something we can get up and running. A little bit of feedback from the fans. Always like that. James Russell has a Hero of the Week, Gaffy. And James Hutton says, Hero, Luke Shuey, Villain, Luke Shuey's Hamstrings. An unfortunate bit of sizzle there that we will, of course, get back to. Uh, Guys, we like to start negative. We like to start with a rant. Keys, I will turn the floor over to you. This is your forte. Villain of the Week nomination from yourself. Uh, Surprise, surprise. The f- kids at AFL. <laughs> They're back. Um, what have they done this week? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have that until we just started talking before this started, and saw a tweet talking about Melbourne and Richmond giving a trophy name for their supposedly now annual Anzac Eve game, which has been annual since 2015. Had a hiatus last year because of Anzac Day they weren't playing, but really, for f- sake, can we get a, an annual game that? Doesn't involve Victorian clubs for f- sake. Just one, maybe. On a we've got state. we've got two. We've got two derbies. What more do you want? Mm. Oh, yeah, but yeah. for Freo have their Len Hall game that got about five minutes of air before they stopped giving that any significance. Yeah. I, I mean, that's. I mean, look. I'm, I I don't even think the Eagles need a, a schedule. The one the the, the Len Hall game that the Fremantle Dockers do. I mean, I hate Fremantle with a passion, but the one thing they do really well that Len Hall game is really good. They do a really f-ing good job of getting that together. If you're going to do a put them on Anzac Day Eve every year, get them and say you're going to play Port Adelaide because they're both a bunch of f***ed teams. And, <laughs> and, fair, fair little brother. You know, yeah, so get them to play each other on Anzac Day Eve and, and call it the the Knob Jockey Cup. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, why every time they, they set these, stand, these standalone feature games and they're always Melbourne clubs and they're always at the MCG, just... Do you know the other thing is, and everybody should know by now, I have no love for North Melbourne whatsoever, and I am not in the business of hoping that clubs fold, but if I had to pick a club to fold, it would be North Melbourne. North Melbourne are crap. We know this. We just saw proof of it. They turn in a really bad effort, and there's chat of, well, let's take this prime time, let's take this scheduled game off of them. Richmond Carlton has been a one-way street for a decade now, or however long this has been our quote-unquote traditional season opener. Carlton are still getting the first game of the year every year, so if it's, it's not performance-based, it's just market-based. But anyway, AFL is a strong shout, a good candidate from yourself, Keys. Miguel, do you have anything else to back that one up with? Um, I'm surprised Keys didn't go with it, and you've probably got it in your notes, but um, Damien Barrett. Oh, I don't. I've got uh, another media figure, so let's go. Oh, okay. Barrett, one of those journos, there's a few of them that could just about have a mortgage on this segment, um, wrote an article Sunday or Monday about how we're now legitimate flag fancies, said all these nice things about us. Um, couldn't resist bringing up the uh, the miserable moting, moping uh, narrative from last year because of our, our much publicised troubles in the first hub. And it's just, I'm sick of talking about it. It's just a lazy shortcut uh, and a, a cheap shot from him and the others that do it because he's in Melbourne. He doesn't have to worry about being pulled up on it. But I'm just sick of the, the fact that we played badly in uh, three games, our first day in Queensland and... Um, Simo and maybe someone else said something about the hub and it's just this continuing narrative about how we were petulant all year. Pisses me off. Uh, and my other nomination was um, the waffle schedulers because uh, not only have they put the Beagles on the same time as the AFL side this week, but um, for some reason they've fixtured it up in uh, bloody Yanchip. So hopefully the club streams it again, but I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't because it'd be stretching their resources a bit thin, I think. So, yeah, they're my two nominations. 
Very nice. Uh, I'll race through a couple from myself. One for the AFL for their goal line technology. It's crap. Apparently the MCG is great. Why are we still using these shocking 2x4 pixel cameras? Just get a proper camera and put it at the goal line. Didn't even affect us this week, but that's off the back of Hawks Geelong. Uh, Another media figure. Miguel, you touched on one there. What about Tom Brown? Essendon and Carlton winning is good for footy. I'd really love to know why that is, Tom. Uh, COVID. Nice nomination for COVID here because Shannon Hearn next week breaks the game's record when we come back and play Collingwood. We can't have a banner. We can't run out through the giant inflatable eagle head. So we're going to have to find another way around that. Thanks very much, COVID regulations, for that one. But my main nomination this week is West Coast Eagles rookie midfielder Zane True. Uh, I went to a function for the game on Saturday where he was a speaker and the MC was former Eagles legend Callum Chambers. G'day, Callum, if you're listening. Asked him how he went about growing up as a Sydney fan. And when he was describing why he liked Sydney, he said, well, of course, we won the 2005 grand final and that really started, you know, that's where I kind of took the focus on. Sydney are not we, mate. We won the 2006 grand final. So you can piss off with that. Zane True, Villain of the Week nomination from myself. Uh, Keys, we've got a big field this week. Who do you rate as Villain of the Week? It's hard to go past Damien Barrett because, <laughs> but really, if we're doing that, he'd just be like yeah, another one that we can name yeah, the award after. Yeah, perpetual trophy. Um, what about the AFL? I mean, I can never resist kicking the AFL. We we had two separate nominations for their bullshit this week. Yeah, no, AFL again, a bit perpetual, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm, AFL. I'm over them. The Corns Barrett AFL Perpetual Trophy. Miguel, do you third (laughs) that nomination? Thirded. Well done, AFL. Get in the bin. Uh, Heroes of the Week. Some pretty boring ones from me. Liam Ryan, he's a star. We've discussed it. And Brad Shepard, congratulations on 200 games coming up. We'll have a bit of a chat about that just around the corner as well. Miguel, do you have a better Hero of the Week nomination than that? Uh, I had Liam Ryan as well. I was sitting up in the top tier on Saturday, and I think he was pretty much eye-level with me when he took that mark. So, yeah, uh, I had him, and I um, hate to nominate an Essendon player, but uh, Alec Waterman making his AFL debut, uh, kicking a couple of goals on debut in uh, in their win over St Kilda. Had to fight his way back into the AFL from a hell of a long way back. So, yeah, very impressive from him. Keys? Oh, a couple. I'll go with a long Eagles one first. Uh, Zach Bailey, anyone that can kick a goal after Siren to beat Collingwood. Is a hero on that. <laughs> and how, how, how poetic was that? That he should have done it the week before. Exactly. So, and, and that was it. Was actually, I mean, that was a pretty clutch goal. That wasn't a neat. I mean, no, I thought he, he was straight front, but it was. Yeah, I, I was watching it with my wife, and I said he's going to miss this, and then bugger me if it didn't just go straight through the middle. So, yeah, well done him. Um, and my Eagles hero of the week, I'm going to go Tommy Barras. I thought. He had an outstanding game. I mean, he just obliterated Charlie Dixon. And I've seen a press conference, I think it might have been after the game with Simpson, or it might have been even on that um, that Asimo segment. Tommy Barras actually really steeled himself for that game. I think Dixon's given us a bit of a touch-up in the past, and particularly last year. And I think Tommy's uh, he's really steeled himself. I think he's a pretty proud man in his... Um, come out and really did a number on Charlie Dixon. I mean, I know we held sway with the midfield, but Dixon just did not get a sniff all night. I mean, he might have taken a couple of marks, but they were up on the wing. He just annihilated him. So good on you, Tommy. He's my nomination. 
That was very poetic. I was all geared up to vote for Alec Waterman, but you're starting to sway me with that. Um, I will turn the floor over to you guys, who you want to pick as our yeah, one true hero. Quite a clear rule against giving hero work to an Essendon player anyway. I know, <laughs> but he's an Eagles like, player, like, let's be I honest. Like Alec Waterman, no, he's, he's great, but it's a bit like watching Wusher coach Essendon. It's like, really, I want you to do well, but f*** Essendon, really? Um, Right, I might have to stay out of this one then Because I like Alec Waterman, I think it's a nice story But Key's waxing lyrical about Tom Barras Got me feeling all sorts of feelings So uh, gents, between the two of you Somebody needs to work this one out Yeah, we'll give it to Barras then Liam Ryan, we've given plenty of plaudits During during this episode as well Tom Barras, Hero of the Week Another hero of the club, Brad Shepard, is set to play his 200th game for the West Coast Eagles this weekend when we take on St Kilda. Seventh overall, Miguel, in the 2009 draft, and it was something that was sort of not thrown in our face, but, you know, it was a bit of a point of contention for a couple of seasons as he found his footing. You've got Dustin Martin was taken third, Nat Fife was taken 20th, Max Gorn 34, and also, of course, Lewis Jetta 14th. That's sort of the best of the best in that crop. And if you put him in that list, I reckon he's the third best player in the draft at worst. He found his feet eventually as a backman rather than a midfielder. And Miguel, if we haven't had the best mid-sized back for the last five or six years, then I don't know who has. Yeah, I remember that leading up to that draft, it was sort of talking about Jetta and um, Kane Lucas as being our options of that pick. And then Shep sort of came from nowhere, put aside Fife because he was... It was not really considered in the same um, in the same vein at the time, and yeah, I think uh, of the options we had, we've done very very well out of it, as good as uh, Jeddah was for us and for Sydney. So yeah, he uh, he did take a few years to come on, and um, he had a bit of Jared Brander disease that he was throwing around the field a whole lot in his first few years and, and wasn't really allowed to settle somewhere. But yeah, once he settled down back, he he really hasn't looked back. At least one All Australian should have had more, and yeah, just um. Super reliable. Did a job on Robbie Gray as well, I think, on the weekend. Once again, he, he's uh, he's got Gray in his back pocket. And, uh, yeah, pencil him in for maybe Tim Membry or someone like that on the weekend. But he, he's just one you can rely on to get the job done. Keys, you look at the guys taken around Brad Shepard. You, you had Shep at seven, John Butcher at eight, then Andrew Moore to Port Adelaide, Melksham to Essendon, Jordan Gisbert to Melbourne, Kane Lucas to Carlton. It's not until you get Daniel Talia at 13 and then Lewis Jetter at 14 that you even get to guys who had any sort of real solid career. So, you know, we've definitely come away with a good pick. It took a couple of years to materialise, but Brad Shepard is just underrated, goes about his business, and I think, fair to say, a fan favourite as well. Yeah, I think he's he's arguably Simpson's greatest coaching achievement when you look at an individual player, up to including 2014, which was Simpson's first year. Shepard played... 59 games. So he's played 140 cents out of a possible 142. Jesus. Really shit, really shit luck for him about the two games of those that he missed. Is that actually genuinely the stat? The only two that he's missed? Yep. Oh, since, God. Since the start of, since the start of two, I, I went through, I had actually looked at a couple of times to make sure he's played every game bar two for the last six and a bit seasons. So he's just become... From a guy who was a bit flaky and no one, you know, even Simpson mentioned today he was a bit of a bit of a whipping boy for those first few years, as much as anything, because he was taken at pick seven and he was taken ahead of five, and in that he, he struggled to live up to it. But he's just become over the last six years, he's become probably there wouldn't be a better half back over the last six seasons in the AFL, I don't reckon. 
just for straight out consistency. I mean, it's got to be a great thing for the coaching staff to just put his name down on the board at the start of each week and know what you're going to get. I mean, not. It's really hard to think of games where he's had a bad game. I mean, there's perhaps games where he's been better than others and, and things like that. But like a genuinely bad game, it's really hard to think where he's had too many of those. Yeah, just a super solid and, and just a really good solid citizen. Um, and he's had some fairly stunning girls over the journey as well. <laughs> so, yeah, no, if you come back and be Glad Shepherd, you'd, you'd probably be pretty happy with that. Round four, West Coast Eagles take on St Kilda, 2.35pm on Saturday WA time. It is at Marvel Stadium. It's a ground we've already played this season. We know it well. And guys, before we get into our ins and outs, we need to run through a few injury updates. There are a couple this week. Just quickly looking at the list in general, you've got Brendan Archie is a test with the hamstring. Jared Cameron, one week with the groin. Bit of a concern there. I'd like to see some progress from him. He's been battling that groin for a while now. Same goes for Mark Hutchings, one week with the knee. Bailey Williams is a test with the ankle, so hopefully we get to see him kicking it around for the Beagles this weekend as well. And now the big two. We've got Elliot Yo, TBC with a groin still, but we're starting to get some progress. Word that perhaps he'll be back on the track soon and we'll start to get a bit more of a concrete timeline, return to play in the next couple of days or in the next week. So Elliot Yo finally, finally starting to trend in the right direction. Of course, the headline from the injury report is Luke Shuey. And Miguel, he's done the hamstring. It's more than a strain. It seems to actually be a small tear. He came back off a hamstring injury, just destroyed the game, best on ground, absolutely dominated, and then he's he's pinged it again late in the fourth term. Maybe as many as six weeks, maybe more. You know, it doesn't seem like the standard two, three, four week hamstring here. A really rough blow for the skipper. Yeah, and with his history, you'd be uh, taking whatever the the normal is for for that injury, and then adding a couple of extra weeks on. I think um, just out of safety. Yeah, uh, Medico's copping a little bit in. Uh, the injury thread for allowing him to play on and possibly not subbing him at three-quarter time, even though that's pretty much not allowed under the rules, but uh, not not benching him. And you, know, you can make all those calls in hindsight, but it's just really unfortunate that he played limited minutes. I think had 58% game time. He was coming off apparently when he did it, and it was in the last 10 to 12 minutes of the game. So, yeah, really unfortunate, but he's starting to get another history, a, a bit of a history again of these little soft tissue injuries and um, uh, getting into his 30s, it's uh, going to have to be something to watch and um, he might have to change his game style a bit and maybe not so much of a bullet at a gate. But yeah, we're uh, we're going to be out without him for a while, uh, which is unfortunate, but I suppose the uh, the silver lining is that maybe give someone like Brander an opportunity to play a bit of midfield or... Um, O'Neill comes back in and can uh, build up some AFL uh, experience and confidence and or maybe uh, Zane True, someone like that. So, yeah, that's the uh, the silver lining. But uh, with Yo out as well, it's going to be a um, difficult patch without him. So, Keys, with that, it does mean we have at least one enforced change or we've got one enforced change. We've got at least one change coming. And I'll let you lead us off for the ins and outs. Who replaces Shuey? And do you make any changes to a winning formula beyond that? I my initial thinking was it would just be O'Neill for Shuey since it was um, basically O'Neill that came out to make way for Shuey and I don't as much as we touched on it earlier Jones and Petrocelli had sort of quiet games on the stat sheet but I don't watching them when I was watching the replay I think both those guys actually got involved in enough of the play 
for me to think that uh, they played the role that, you know, we as fans don't quite always understand what players' roles are. And the club, I think, deliberately doesn't really expand on what the roles are for players. I think they did enough to sort of get another chance. So, so yeah, my thinking would be initially just O'Neill in for, for Shelby as a straight swap. That was until I saw today's press conference before training with Simo, and there was a couple of things that he said, and I might be reading too much into it, but he was asked directly if Waterman was ready to play, and he said he's available for selection. He also said that Brando would be maybe looking at some more midfield time now that Shuey's out and spreading the load, and that O'Neill had a good game and he's finding the ball, and but he's still got a few things to work on. I'm thinking that they they might be going to bring Waterman back in and he'll take Brander's spot as a high half forward, which is fine, and Brander will move into a more full-time midfield role to take over from Shuey, and then they'll leave it at that. So I'm probably wrong, but I'm thinking at this stage it might just be Waterman in for, for Shuey. Um, actually, there was a photo I saw of Shuey today walking laps and uh, she was standing next to him. So any thoughts that uh, she's playing anywhere this weekend uh, is not going to happen. He's going to be watching in the um, kangaroo paddock at Nanjip. I originally had it as O'Neill for Shuey. I think that's probably a, a common theme across most Eagles fans, but you've sort of started to convince me there. I like the idea of Brander on the ball. I do want Waterman back in. I'm big on, on Jake Waterman, really high on him, but I do worry about being a bit tall. Miguel, if there's any ground you can afford to be a bit tall at, it's probably Marvel because they can shut the roof and there's no issue of it you know, being a slog where you guys are trying to turn these really wide berths in the wet. Even still, you know, do, do you leave it at Waterman for Shuey? Do you have O'Neill for Shuey or is there another change we can expect? Um, I had O'Neill for Shuey as more of a like-for-like. Like. Uh, yeah, I have that worry about the height, but if you know, most of our tools don't really... No, they're, they're not big mobile tools. You know, if you bring in Jake Waterman as an extra tool, he, he's quite mobile. Yeah, and he's, I, he's only I, six I, foot three. You know, if you're playing Brander through the middle, then doesn't matter how big he is, he's not slow. Yeah, my 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 real worry with that is whether Waterman is um is right to go. He's had you know, a long injury layoff. He's had a back injury, so he um didn't get much of a preseason in. He was on limited minutes, I think, in the waffle. Do you give him one more run? Uh, give him a full game in the waffle before you bring him back in. Yeah, that um, was that was my thinking. I reckon that I thought oh, he probably needs another game, so that's why I never really thought of him coming back in. But Simpson was he was like, yeah, he's available. It wasn't like a Simpson can be a bit vague sometimes because he doesn't want to give a lot away. But it was just like, yep, he's available, and I was like, oh shit, okay. <laughs> and you know, from last year, I mean, they actually like Waterman in the side. I think they they like him as that half-forward type, and he's 192 centimetres, so he's not... I don't actually really see him as a as a tall, per se. I think he's a bit of a hybrid, and I think I think longer term, he's going to actually replace Cripps in the side, but yeah, I just... I don't know. I might have read too much into Simpson today, but I just got that feeling that that's what they might be looking at. Now, we have a question this week. Before we get into our full-on St Kilda preview, while we're talking ins and outs and waffle and depth... Uh, Elorara asks us on Big Footy, after watching the Beagles, albeit against Perth, he says, 
Do you think our depth might be better than we recently thought? He gives some examples here. We've got down back Edwards, Foley, Witherden in the midfield, O'Neill, who we've just discussed. We've got Ainsworth, True, Edwards. We've got Bailey Williams coming back. And then up forward, Waterman, maybe Vardy as a forward or as a ruck. You've got Isaiah Wender as well, Archie. There are some guys there that, you know, they, they could push for selection if they start to piece some form together. Miguel, are we underselling the depth behind the main 22? Yeah, how good is it having the uh, the Beagles back this year and, and seeing those guys? Oh, and What a and difference it makes. Some, yeah, yeah, because I think a lot of them stagnated a bit last year and Brandon might have been one of them when they didn't get sort of regular games. So, yeah, great to see the Beagles back. Yeah, some of the uh, some of the youngsters, I think, have, have improved a lot over what I was expecting. You know, Foley, sort of bit of a forgotten man, but from what I've seen in practice matches and then on the weekend, you could... I conceivably see him coming in and and playing a role down back if a if a spot opens up. Witherden's uh, growing as well. He um and he, he avoided suspension for a striking charge, so he's still available. So share that um, to Chaos. Yeah. <laughs> President Perth fan. Yeah. So yeah, uh, and Isaiah Winder was a revelation really playing forward. So calls to bring him into the side already, which I, th- I think is a little premature. But yeah, could certainly um see us. Uh, bringing him in at, at some point this year. So, yeah, great to see uh, some depth coming through. We, we saw a little bit of it um, in the second half last year when Foley got a game and um, Hamish Brayshaw got a game and almost out of necessity more than anything. But, um, yeah, we did see a lot of those guys come through and uh, you'll probably see more of it uh, this year. Some more games for Foley and, yeah, maybe Winder and True and uh, uh, both Edwards's as well. Keys, it'd be a big deal if we could get Brander as a full-time mid and as a best 22 or, you know, maybe like a best 25 type ready to go when there is need for it. How much better would you feel about the midfield depth if it read, you know, Brander, then O'Neill, then your Ainsworths and Trues and some of these younger kids? Yeah, it's just, I mean, we've got a good, you know, and pretty well-established starting six mids, you know, you know with Shuey and Gaff and all over and they're all playing and we've always had a little bit of trouble with that sort of seventh, eighth, ninth type coming back. I mean, we've still got we've still got Hutchings who's on the sidelines to come back as well as a as a mid. I think what's showing up is that draft we had last year with True, Winder, and Edwards. Given the junk picks we had, it's really something that we may have actually really nailed the draft because we've got three guys who. Particularly, I mean, Winder and True are actually being legitimately discussed as possible inclusions. I mean, as McGuss said, I think we're probably a little bit premature with that. But they have a couple more games like they showed on the weekend, and they're genuinely going to be um, worthy consideration for a spot in the seniors. So, it's yeah, it's good just to see some green shoots coming up underneath that um, we perhaps haven't quite seen the same extent in in years gone by. Moving along with the Saints analysis proper now, we've picked our ins and outs. Shuey's unfortunately going to disappear and and we might see O'Neill, we might see Waterman. From one team, we're talking about the quality of the Eagles depth. Well, the St Kilda depth is going to be really, really tested because Miguel... Paddy Ryder is back at the club, but he's not ready to play yet. And Rowan Marshall is coming back from an injury. He's just got one half of a VFL practice match under his belt. Getting thrown to the wolf somewhat in the ruck department. And they're also missing Jade Gresham, who he he ended his season, unfortunately, last week with the Achilles injury. The Eagles have a real opportunity here to take control of the ruck get the ball out of the middle and start to go forward if things click. Yeah, um, we should go into this with confidence. Um, yeah, Saints, a few players down, obviously. Um, Marshall coming in 
underdone probably, coming off a poor performance against Essendon as well, although that's a double-edged sword because they've been copying it in the press from their ex-players and um, and everyone, and they're expected to be, or they would have come into this season aiming for a top-four spot like us. So, yeah, losing to Essendon, they won't be happy with, and they'll come out swinging, and we need to be prepared for probably an early onslaught, I think. But, yeah, overall, I I think we should have their measure, really. They're going to have to um, bring Marshall back, I think, to combat Nick Nat because, yeah, with Ryder being ruled out, they don't have much else. They rucked with, uh, I think, Sean McKernan and Jake Carlisle against Essendon and probably saw that in the result, how well that would be expected to go. Uh, Paul Hunter, who's an SSP pick, um, but, yeah, he, he would struggle against Nick Nat, so... Yeah, they've uh, they've lost a lot in the middle. Jack Steele basically carrying the team. Bradley Hills massively out of form and might be dropped. Yeah, so they're going to struggle. Uh, having said that, it's not a team that we can take lightly, obviously. Uh, the one stat I did look up, uh, the sole bit of homework I did for this, uh, St Kilda currently given up the third most inside 50s this season behind just uh, North and GWS, both of whom have been terrible. They're giving up about 60 inside 50s a game. And if they allow us to do that, uh, with the way our forward line is clicking, we'll push 150 on the scoreboard. So, uh, yeah, if we can get some supply in there, then uh, then look out St Kilda. Keys, I think one of our wins of the season last year was against the Saints, a really depleted midfield for the Eagles that day. It was pretty much the first crack we saw of O'Neill, and I think we might have even had a debut from, from Brayshaw and Ainsworth in the middle. So... Albeit the Eagles do have a couple of big outs, we've also got a fair few ins from the last time we played them. And uh, while we're talking stats, what about this one? St Kilda are 16th in the league in disposals, and yet they are first in the league in clangers. It's not a team that you can take lightly by any stretch. I know we're getting a little bit carried away here, but realistically, this midfield should be looking to fire. And when it does come down back for the Eagles, when you know when it goes forward for St Kilda, I also like our options there in those matchups. Yeah, I think. If, if the form from last weekend stands through onto this weekend, I think we are looking at 100 points. But, you know, it doesn't, as the super ads are so fond of telling us, you know, past performances, they guarantee a future as well. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I expect St Kilda will um, will put a better showing together than what they did last week. I think they'll be pretty keen to, to fight back, given that they've, and I'm always wary when sides have a, you know, a, a really bad media week. They do particularly when they're an underlying good side, they do tend to respond. So wary of that, even with that, you know, even if they do play better, I think we should still rightly have a look and say, well, we've, we've got the, the talent on the, on the park to, um, to win, not in a position this early in the season to um, be overconfident, you know, or any right to be overconfident. So we shouldn't be taking it easy. So yeah, I, I think by rights, we should, we should have them covered. You look at the, guys on the park and I mean even if Marshall comes back in for St Kilda I mean Essendon don't have any great rucks either and they still got bashed up there so coming up against that Nui yeah we should really get the ball going out of the centre quite easily yeah and they've not they're not great down back St Kilda at the moment so we should we should do pretty well and Miguel, as we turn our attention to the forward line, assuming that all the changes that we, we discussed are made, that is to say, not really much by way of change in the small forward department. You've got Cripps against his former side. Jones and Petch are up and about. Is this the day that we see some crummers get off the leash or do you still expect it to be all down to the key bigs? Uh, well, Jones had a good game um, last time out at, um, I've forgotten the name of the bloody stadium, Marvel. Marvel Stadium. Um, 
Colonial Stadium. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, the old Telstra Dome. Yeah, Jones had a good game there uh, last time. Uh, and, yeah, I can't think of any sort of small defenders for the Saints that we'd need to worry about. So having said that, one of them will probably tear us up now. But, um, yeah, it's certainly a game that one of those guys could bob back up. Yeah, I, I didn't think either of them played particularly badly. It was they The forward pressure they provided was great. It's just yeah, they didn't didn't hit the scoreboard too much and uh, on the and the stats stat sheet too much. But yeah, they can hopefully rectify that this time. And uh, yeah, I suppose Dougal Howard will probably take Kennedy, but then they'll have to possibly send someone like Battle or uh, or Jake Carlisle back to cover the other guys, and so that robs them up forward. So yeah, we can really get them on the hop. Keys, you can lead us off for predictions. I need to know who wins by how much and which eagle is going to star. Uh, West Coast. Uh, 24 points, so 50 big footy mainboard threads meltdowns. <laughs> and Kelly dragged us over the line last year against this, these guys, and with Shuey out, I'll uh, back him in to strap the side on his back again and, and do another charge. So Kelly to 30 and 3. It. 30 and 3. Well, what about this? Tim Kelly has played the Saints three times in his career, and he's kicked four goals too. He's kicked a goal in every game at least, you know, a bag of two and then a one and a one. 30 and one last time out for Tim Kelly, so not a bad pick at all. Miguel, do the Eagles win? Do they win by more than Key suggested? And who else do you think is going to stand out for us? I have the Eagles by four goals, so I'll go one more. I'll say we'll win by 25 points, so it can't be the same. And uh, Liam Duggan, a similar sort of thinking that um, with the the loss of Shuey, someone will have to step up and, yeah, he's been playing that sort of sacrificial defensive wing role I think a bit but yeah with Shuey gone he'll uh, he'll go into the middle a bit more and um, yeah, stamp his authority on the game. So I'm a little bit of a kiss of death this year when it comes to tipping. I did tip us against the Suns but I was the furthest away from the actual margin uh, compared to the two of you guys. Then I tipped us against the Dogs. I was the only one. We lost. Tipped Port. Uh, of course we won. I'm weighing up whether or not to tip St Kilda, but I might just full-on kiss a death as here. I've got West Coast by 31, which unfortunately is actually the largest margin. Uh, we'll wait and see what happens there. But the Eagles, yeah, hopefully they get the win. Can't take St Kilda too lightly, although they are there to be beaten at the moment uh, and, and off a really bad week. The Eagles in good nick as well. I did have Tim Kelly for my best on. Keys, thank you very much for taking that one. Instead, I will say Jack Darling, because as Miguel pointed out, there's a couple of keybacks there, but I don't think there's heaps to stop Kennedy and Darling and Allen getting off the chain. So I'll pick one of them, Jack Darling, to really stand out for us on Saturday. That'll do it from us this week, guys. Thank you very much for listening. As always, you can get in contact with the show on Twitter and on Facebook at WCEBFpod. We're on Big Footy, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, Spreaker, wherever you hear from us, we are, we're really thankful to have you on board and, and always get in touch with us as well. Leave your reviews, questions, heroes, villains, three-word reviews, all of that good stuff. We really appreciate it. Keys, it's been great. You're back on the show. You've had a good rant. We're pissed off at the AFL already. I love that. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. Yeah, all good. Hopefully, um, yeah, we uh, have a good weekend uh, at the Anship and at... Marvel. <laughs> Miguel, 
for yourself. Back on again this week in the heels of another good win. Hopefully we can go to Marvel and get the W as well. Yep, and I'm I'm three from three, so looking forward to being uh, four from four in the tips um, this time next week. Congratulations. Well, guys, that will do it from us. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you next week as we head into a really big game, a massive game in Eagles history as well with Shannon Hearn potentially breaking the club games record. So we'll see you at a similar time next week. Thank you very much for listening. Until then, we'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Bye. Bye.